Hey, this is the Piece of Drew podcast. I am Drew. Today I'm going to talk about a piece of writing that I did a few months ago called There Is No Such Thing as a Vegan. I published it on medium.com and it is uh, it has generated more conversation than I've ever had before online. Um, and I remember very distinctly when I wrote it and I was just thinking about uh, how how it, it is true that everything that we do, especially to eat, but everything that we do really as human beings does cause death out there in the world. In a way, creating a life for yourself is sort of eliminating the pests and other things that want to eat your food or live in your house or what what have you and my mind was thinking about kind of the larger picture of all that and then also especially when you talk about food as a farmer as a chef as a landscaper it seems like quite a bit of my life has been eliminating pests of one sort or another or well essentially killing living creatures or plants in order to eat what I want to eat. I mean, it's pretty simple. It's really simple. And the more we get complicated with it, the more it seems like it turns into a bunch of bullshit because it's really simple. You wake up, you go out into the world, you kill something, you eat it, uh, you drink some water, you breathe some air, you make some sweet love, and then you go to bed. That's kind of how life is, Um, but I guess, you know, when you talk about anything that has an ideology behind it, such as veganism or vegetarianism or breathitarianism or fruitarianism or whatever, anything that people are very passionate about and has a sort of uh, a mindset behind that everybody has to adopt in order to become part of that group then yeah, you're going to get a lot of kind of anger and swearing and yelling and profanity and, and again, anger. Uh, the funny part of it to me is I wasn't really thinking about vegans in particular. I was thinking more about the overarching concept that there is no food without death. Um, veganism being just one part of the article and not a very big part of it, really. Veganism is really sort of probably just the most extreme version of a person that defines themselves by the food that they eat. And I I have done that before. I've written about it and I talk about it. I'm completely open with the con- with the with my my life about that. Um when I was young, I was vegetarian and that of course confused all the people around me who ate meat all the time because definitely in the Midwest, eating meat all the time at every meal is very common. Meat is very cheap these days. Um, and there, you can go to any any store and get 500 pounds of meat and just eat it. I mean, there's nothing stopping anybody from doing that. So in any case, though, every Midwest dinner, lunch, and breakfast entailed a lot of factory farm to meat and that stuff is fucking disgusting 
There is no two ways about it. That is just the way it is. Factory farm meat is bad. Boom. I'm going to say that right off the top. That is true. I don't have any issue with anybody who has that viewpoint. I don't think it's a good thing. So, but on that note, I don't judge anybody for eating it occasionally because that is how our society is set up. I don't judge anybody for filling up their gas tank with gas that has been basically procured by an endless war in the Middle East. I don't get upset with anybody who goes out and buys an iPad. I have no fucking right to get upset with you for the way you live your life. But going back again, um, thinking about my more idealistic days as a vegetarian and then into a vegan and then to a raw foodist, I, I did have the mindset that I was better than everybody else. Why even define yourself by one of these things at all if you don't have this sort of need to want it to be set apart from everybody else and let's say better or at least more particular, whatever it is. There's no, and now, nowadays, I don't feel like there's any point in that whatsoever. I mean, basically, I'm a human being, you're a human being, and that is, that is, that is it. That is all there is. We can throw a whole bunch of labels on ourselves and live them out and enjoy them, but let's just remember they're all labels, you know, and essentially at the end of the day, what we have is our breath, our words, um, and every moment that we live is super precious, and that is kind of how I think of being alive as a human being, and I don't like to put labels onto myself and live by them. That's at this point in my life, halfway through it or so, let's say, I, uh, or maybe, maybe less, but I think that we need to be open-minded about who we are because it changes too. Every week, every month, every year, we kind of go through changes that happen on purpose and not on purpose. For instance, I had a friend who died last week and that was definitely a shock. Um, a friend's grandpa died a couple days ago. Uh, another friend's uh, dad is dying and another friend's dad is dying in a nursing home uh, or an acquaintance. A lot of people, a lot of people feeling the suffering, feeling the sadness of losing a loved one, uh, including myself. There's a sadness there when you lose someone that you care about. That is your friend. That is your relation, um, your loved one. But so what, what is the point of saying I am a vegetarian and my friend died? Who the fuck cares, right? Like you are a person and your friend died or whatever. You are a person and you are going to die just like your friend died. And putting all these fucking labels on yourself is just a exercise in futility. But I understand that you need to do that in order to be able to eat at a restaurant or a diner or a cafe or whatever. If you have a specific way that you want to eat, I don't see any problem with doing that, but putting a label on it is somewhat, you know, to me, farcistical, I guess. But that is that is beside the point. Who the hell cares? I don't care what you do, what you call yourself. What I do care about is what you insist that others do. If you're an idealist, 
who insist that others uh, follow your rules, I don't like that. I don't believe in that. I believe that everybody has an inner power, an inner right to follow their path. And, and sometimes it doesn't include having to define themselves by what they eat. Sometimes it doesn't. It just doesn't. So that is a reality. So anyway, the article came out of me quickly. Um, it it meant a lot to me because I wanted to share experiences that I had raising animals uh, and learning how to process them, butcher them, um, and it's very it's a difficult thing to do. You learn how to do it, and um, it's hard. Uh, it's work, but you know if you eat meat, it is something that you need to do. Is something that you need to learn how to do because that is your responsibility to understand how that works. I believe so. Um, so I think the the best case scenario is that whatever you eat, you understand how it is raised, how it is grown, how it affects the landscape, stuff like that. So let me let me just read the piece. And I'm going to go into it a little bit more in depth if I can. Okay, so it's called There's No Such Thing as a Vegan. I have a picture of some killing cones with some blood. And I warn people that there are graphic images of butchery included in this article. And there there are sort of a couple of that. But mostly I meant in, in terms of the words. What I'm saying is going to be graphical and not... Um, I'm not going to slide over the details, the gory details of how it, what it means to raise an animal and to kill it and then to eat it. Um, that's what I mean. It wasn't about actual too much imagery in terms of pictures. Um, so I swing my heavy cleaver down onto the sticky surface of the stump, slicing through the thin bone of the chicken's neck with a swift sureness that I've gained only through practice. The chicken's eyes grow murky as life withdraws from them and blood spurts from the main artery that supplies the brain. There's always a rush of sadness and adrenaline in me as I take the life of a chicken, though I have taken hundreds of chickens' lives. I am filthy, my white apron covered in blood and a sheen of poultry guts. A droplet of salty sweat drips into my eyes, but I can't wipe it away with hands covered in blood and gore. My hands, numb from hours of work, clutch at the chicken's slim but powerful legs, keeping clear of the sharp claws that can draw blood even after death. I swing the chicken off and away from the stump as its powerful wings start to flap. Flap, flap, and then a bunch of flapping as the electricity of life leaves that body for the last time. Okay, so that's, you know, that's an important time right then. Um, I did lead a number of people through the process when they wanted to learn what it meant to have uh, Thanksgiving turkey, uh, what it meant to kill that animal in order to roast that Thanksgiving turkey. Um, my ex-partner and I had uh, brought people out to the farm and and showed them what it meant to, to kill a turkey and to gut it and pluck it. Um, and it, it, it affected a lot of people pretty intensely. Uh, it also almost every single time was kind of a hard thing to do. Turkeys have a lot of personality. 
Um, and yeah, but that is the reality of what it is when you want to have a Thanksgiving turkey and people connected to it very deeply and appreciated that turkey more than they probably have ever appreciated a turkey before. And I want people to understand that that turkey is a life and you are eating that life, one life, one meal, and you are surrounding your the meal with your family and you are having a communion with the food and the food is important and that the beings that lived for you to eat and have that communion, that is an important thing um, to connect with that. Otherwise, you are disconnected with everything, with the, the food that you eat. Uh, and that is a huge, huge problem these days. People are so disconnected to what they eat that they don't even know if potatoes grow in trees or not. So, so anyway, that when the, when the life, the electricity of the bird goes away from the, uh, or floods through the body one last time, it causes the muscles to contract and the wings to flap and legs to move as if the animal was actually still alive. It is the last electrical energy leaving the body, um, and it's an intense moment. But the animal's consciousness isn't there anymore, so that is uh, an enlightening time because you learn there is movement, but movement doesn't translate to consciousness, and consciousness is where the life resides. Okay, back to the piece. I set the chicken carcass upside down into a five-gallon bucket and turn around to begin to do the same thing again with another chicken my friend has brought to the stump. I hear the clatter of the bucket handle and turn around to see the chicken running around in the yard without a head, blood spurting from its neck. Good God, I think to myself. This is like a scene from Hieronymus Bosch painting. All right, so that's just, that's an imagery. That's a... If you have ever seen the Bosch painting, you understand that that is uh, a surreal kind of disturbing imagery. That doesn't mean it is disturbing. It means our perception of it, the way we look at it and, and the way it makes us feel is somewhat disturbing. And that's another thing I was trying to get at. Just because the sight of blood or the sight of guts or the sight of... Uh, a chicken running around with its head cut off is disturbing to us. It doesn't mean that that is actually a disturbing thing. It is just what it is. We all eat, we eat, we take lives, and at some point our own lives will be taken and animals will eat us. There is no moral concepts or philosophizing that can change these simple facts. But as humans, we like to play around with the concepts of ideals, ethics, laws, and morals in order to justify our behaviors. Animals in the wild have no such no such compunctions. We are all like that chicken running around with its head cut off. We think our individual lives have more meaning than any other animal's lives, even if we pretend that we don't. We circle the wagons, but the wolves and the hungry beasts are still out there. They're waiting to eat us in the same way that when our stomachs gurgle hungrily, we think about that juicy double bacon cheeseburger and fries. Or if you're a vegan that roasted tofurkey with cashew gravy. So 
And a remark here, I really did used to love tofurkey with cashew gravy a lot. So it's pretty tasty, but it definitely doesn't pack the same kind of flavor punch or emotional punch or anything punch of a real live turkey that you have raised and slaughtered and butchered and plucked and roasted and consumed with your family. And this is kind of what I'm getting at with this article is I'm talking about actual connection to everything versus just a slight connection to some concept of who you are. An ideal is just a weird connection to some idea that you are something. If you only knew the body count of a field of barley, we lie to ourselves day in and day out about the bloodthirsty nature of our food lust. We want to eat what we want to eat. We want to believe that we are causing the smallest amount of harm possible, very little pain, minimal deaths. But it's not true. Everything we eat causes a certain amount of harm, pain, and death. It is the truth. Don't kid yourself. Some of us don't give a shit about anything. We eat everything put in front of us without concerns. We don't care about animal ethics or the concept concept of sustainability and just enjoy food for the food's sake. This viewpoint is probably the norm. Some of us create an ethical framework of consumption and only eat what we think exists within those borders. We don't eat meat from factory farms and we strive to eat pastured animal products. We try to make sure that animals are treated well and that they have access to dirt and sun. This viewpoint is becoming more popular as long as it is affordable. Others decide to dispense with the animal products altogether. Vegetarians and vegans like to point out that it takes more water and grain to feed an animal to produce a pound of meat than if we just ate a pound of the grain itself. That is true. They also like to point out that we don't have to eat animals. That is also true. And yet we don't also don't have to eat cashews or chocolate or coffee either. Uh, they say that plants don't have feelings. I say there are plenty of animals involved in the production of cashews, chocolate, and coffee, including underpaid and overworked humans. Back and forth we go until the exchange of words is pointless and emotion becomes raw and real. This viewpoint is growing in popularity, but still remains a fraction of the whole. So really, overall, that is just the only part where I'm really talking about particular vegan and vegetarian concepts. Um, and it's not even, you know, it's not even, it's definitely not comprehensive. It's just a paragraph I wanted to include that talked a little bit about the idea that I really don't think any product, food product out there doesn't have a lot of death behind it or suffering of some sort or another. Um, and I wanted to also point out that having a being a vegan or vegetarian or some other moral standpointing standpoint that you have that dictates how you do something can conflict with other people's way of life. Um, you know, it's basically just a little bit of a discussion about how pointless it is to argue when you both have two idealistic viewpoints that don't mesh, right? Uh, others say that grain is the cause of all of our health problems, and so they do without all grain and carbs. Variations on this theme include raw foodists and those who like to eat paleolithically. 
Still, other eaters are now eschewing vegetable matter and focusing on consuming fats and protein in large amounts. An incredibly privileged ability to go into a state known as ketosis, wherein the body burns its own fat reserves or fuel in the absence of carbohydrates. All of these viewpoints are adopted for ethical reasons or to increase health or lose weight. Some of us eat only what we grow on our own lands or what our friends grow or what we glean from dumpsters. These viewpoints arise out of ethical concerns, economics, enjoyment of community, and growing our own food, and so on. Overall, I'm just pointing out there are many ways to consider how you eat and why you eat. All of us think we know the truth about eating, but there is no truth. The fact is that there is no truth about living or dying. These things simply are what they are, and we create elaborate intellectual edifices around them to try to make some sort of sense out of life and death. Religions and diets and philosophies that make us feel like there's a higher meaning to the simple business of living and dying. We don't want to acknowledge the murder and mayhem that proliferates in the undergrowth of the forest. We want to sanitize the action of wild animals and turn their lives into the technicolored platitudes of a Disney movie. Animal life is made up of blood, bone, muscle, and sometimes terror and pain. When a wolf sniffs out a den of baby rabbits, you will see a massacre happen. When a hawk snatches a mouse from the field, field, you will see pain and suffering. Even though we read about how quickly and painlessly predators kill their prey, predators don't read the same books that we do. So, talking a little bit about, you know, the reality of nature and how, I mean, literally out there in nature, not in our homes, essentially you just walk out the door, nature starts to surround you a little bit, and the more you go into the woods or the prairies or the ocean, you will find more and more death because that is is how everybody, every living thing eats by consuming life. So simple. That's what all this is all about. As human beings, we've created tribes and societies in which we have rules that govern how we behave. We don't allow murder. We punish wrongdoing. We build societies based on moral principles that we all agree upon. Historically, we've agreed that keeping livestock and growing crops is an acceptable practice. Thanks to, thanks to subsidized cheap fossil fuels, we have increased our production levels to an order of magnitude that threatens to rapidly destroy our own environment with its unintended secondary effects, such as erosion of our essential topsoil and the creation of superbugs that decimate crops. The epitome of these destructive practices is the farming technique known as concentrated animal feeding operations, or CAFOs, Inside a CAFO, men turn animals into production units and they suffer unthinkable cruelty. In, okay, I'm going to add a caveat. Uh, inside some CAFOs, um, I don't actually have a lot of experience in concentrated animal food operations. I've read a lot about them. Uh, from what I've read, they are not good places to be for animal or human or, or even or the environment. So this is what I'm basing my my judgment call on that on all that I've read in terms of articles and books um, and experiences of people. So if you have any um, any examples that are not uh, examples of unthinkable cruelty, then I'd be interested to hear about them. 
but at the end of the day, they are definitely unsustainable. So, if you think chopping the head off a chicken is cruel and unusual, you don't understand how nature works. Underneath our own skin lies rivers of blood that can be drained from our bodies in minutes. Life is fragile beyond measure, and we only have a brief moment to live it. And to live, we must eat. What is cruel is to not honor the lives of all those creatures that die so that we can continue. What is cruel is to decide that your own individual philosophy of eating is the most important, the most perfect, the best for everyone on the planet to follow. When you live with nature, when you farm in rural America and hike in the wild like I do, you see nature in a myriad of forms, both transcendent and gruesome. Neither form is good or bad, they simply are. Whether you live in the middle of a thousand acres of wilderness or a thousand acres of metropolis, the natural processes stay the same, but only in nature can you observe them and learn from them. We all share the same cycles of birth, life, and death. Indigenous populations across the globe know this and respect the lives that they take daily in order to survive and thrive. I can only make my food choices based on the best information that I have on what is good for me and what is good for the planet. But let's not kid ourselves. We, all are, all, we are all led around by our senses. We seek pleasure and we want to avoid pain. We are, all, we are like all other animals in that regard. The only difference is that we make up stories to justify our behaviors. The story I believe in is that respect is the key to eating well, respect for the animals and plants and the earth, as well as our fellow human beings. When we respect all of these things and understand the cycles of life and death, only then can we eat authentically and from the heart. Even if you consider yourself a vegan, know this. The journey that your beans, grains, or vegetables took to get to your plate involved plenty of suffering and death. Death is an integral part of nature, and we cannot really respect nature until we respect death. So that's basically the article. It's uh, about a six or seven minute read. Um, and it's literally only touching on little different aspects of the whole. And I wanted to share my experience with animals. I wanted to share my ideas that you cannot separate food from death. So that, yeah, that's the piece. Uh, what I'd really like to do now is talk with a couple uh, vegetarians and vegans and just discuss this piece. And I wondered what they really thought. I mean, I did get a lot of um, comments, and but the issue with internet comments is that people kind of tend to comment from the heat of the moment and call people retards and fucktards and things like that and i don't know how to conversate with with that kind of level of um uh, you know violence and abuse in terms of language instead i'd like to talk with somebody who does respect that other people have viewpoints that may or may not be as valid as their own and see what exactly um you know what what they, what they thought about this piece but and 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 more importantly I'm, I'm very interested in what vegans really feel because i mean i literally live with animals day in and day out i literally literally live within nature and raise plants and animals as 
a job. Um, and, and I also do, I, I like to be in nature as a, for my, my leisure time. Um, so I feel like I'm, I don't know, 80 to 90% inundated into nature. And the last bit is the 10 10 to 20% is me inside, uh, doing the work that I need to do inside. Yeah, I wanna I wanna start a conversation that bridges the gap here because I I do know that people care about animals, and I just feel like they're not seeing that those animals will eventually die at some point, and then they will be eaten by either another animal or soil microbes or invertebrates, um, worms, which in in turn will be eaten by other animals and birds and create droppings that fertilize the soil with nitrogen, phosphorus and potassium and so on and so forth. Just seeing the kind of overall cycles of nutrient transfer. I feel like most people are very, you know, very concerned about the life force. And I, I respect that. I really do respect that we are all sort of concerned about respecting the life force i mean people people who are conscientious about it in any case um and i also want to respect the life force as well one major thing i will talk about quickly before i go and um i will be back with more on this subject but one particular thing i wanted to talk about was that Basically, I raise pigs for a number of reasons, but one very important reason for me to raise pigs is that all of these pigs that are raised in a kind and caring and respectful way, um, they get to live decent lives before they're consumed, and in my case, particularly turned into very incredibly delicious salamis and salumi that that is naturally fermented um and these very high quality artisanal meats that my pigs end up becoming are only needed in smaller amounts to provide immense flavor uh but in any case that wasn't really the point the point was that my pigs live happy lives and they replace other pigs that would otherwise live very unhappy, crappy lives. Um, so basically my point being that I'm trying to displace crappy CAFO hogs with my hogs. And so are all the other small farmers that I know of trying desperately to keep things going and grow their operations to some extent that can keep them thriving on the land as a business and usually as a family. Um, But each little indentation that we get into that uh, market where otherwise people would be buying, you know, basically a conventionally raised animal, that means one more happy animal, one less sad animal if that makes any sense 
So I feel like that's a huge, huge difference, a very big difference in terms of quality of life, quality of, of the animal, animal products, the meat, fat, and bone. Um, just that is what I think of as respect for life. That is one major thing that is is why I farm. So in any case, that is all for today. I just wanted to share a little bit about my thoughts on my piece. There is no such thing as a vegan. And I invite um, I would invite you to come and discuss uh, this article on medium.com. Just search for me, Drew French. There is no such thing as a vegan. And thank you for listening. Take care and have a wonderful year. And we'll be talking later. Later.